Hey, everybody. For those of you who have been longtime Girl on Guy listeners, you know that it has always been a goal of mine to start directing feature films. And I've been talking about it for years on the show. And finally, that time has come. Uh, I wanted to make an independent film, a small film, a film that I could make for the least amount of money possible. So I'd have the most creative independence and freedom that I possibly could. And people aren't making films at this price point anymore. So I'm going to be kickstarting my first movie. And I am inviting you guys to be a part of my team. The Kickstarter page is going to go up the second week of April. I will be tweeting and Facebooking the URL. But it is going to be kickstarter.com slash Axis Film. The movie is called Axis, and I hope that you guys will visit the Kickstarter page and join me in being a part of my film. You guys have been so supportive over so many years of this show and of me, and I could not thank you enough. And this is going to be the next chapter of my creative work, and I would love for you to be a part. So check it out. The URL will be kickstarter.com slash Axis Film. The URL is not active yet. It's going to be active the first week of April. So please follow me on Facebook and Twitter uh, and Tumblr, and I will make sure to let you know when that link goes live. You are my army, and you are legion. This is Girl on Guy. Hey everybody, welcome to Girl on Guy 213. Welcome to the show. This is the second half of the Cheryl Underwood interview that posted uh, last month. So if you haven't already listened to that, do that now. Uh, and it will highly, greatly increase your enjoyment of this episode of the show. If you haven't already done it, it's uh, it, it will also greatly enhance your enjoyment of this show to go to goonguy.net and upgrade to a premium subscription, which gets you access to the entire 250 episode back catalog of Girl on Guy. As you may know, this show has gone from a weekly show to a monthly show in order to accommodate my many other creative obligations. It was a painful change, but one that needed to be made. There is no growth without change. And uh, you can subscribe to the show for as little as 79 cents a month. Right now, everybody who subscribes uh, to the show for six months or more gets uh, three free months, and you use the code GOG3FREE. That's GOG3FREE, one word, when you go sign up for uh, your premium uh, Girl and Guy account, and it gets you the entire back catalog, including all the exclusive episodes. You can also download the app for free, which is the best way to access that back catalog, although you can also listen to it on your desktop and via RSS once you are a subscriber. Remember that the most recent 10 episodes of Girl and Guy will always be free and available to you at girlandguy.net and on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever great podcasts and perhaps crack cocaine are sold. I don't know. I don't know where you got your crack cocaine. Probably not on iTunes, but I'm old and I don't understand technology. All right, uh, let's get the business out of the way. This episode of uh, Girl and Guy is brought to you by longtime Girl and Guy supporter, Warby Parker. And I have a very cool, a very ace pair of Warby Parker frames that I love sporting. They are stylish and delightful. I posted a photo of them back on my book tour on my Instagram page. And you can go check that out there on my Tumblr page as well, which are both Instagram.com uh, slash Aisha Tyler and Tumblr, Aisha Tyler dot tumblr.com tumblr has to be difficult fuck you tumblr well tumblr's not a person but i'm not taking that back you can get your beautiful your very own beautiful pair of warby parker glasses by going to warbyparker.com slash girl on guy remember when you avail yourself of these offers you are showing these advertisers that girl on guy is a worthy repository for their 
Luker. And uh, Warby Parker is a very cool company. I'm glad they've been invested in Girl and Guy for such a long time. They have a very simple philosophy. Glasses should not cost as much as an iPhone. We've all gone and picked out a pair of glasses. And then by the time you add prescription and the the thin lenses and the anti-scratch coating and uh, the snow tires, they're up at five, six, seven hundred bucks. That's crazy. That's crazy. Warby Parker glasses start at just 95 bucks, including prescription lenses. And their titanium collection starts at just $145, which also includes the prescription lenses. They use premium Japanese titanium and French non-rocking screws. So their glasses are lightweight and durable. All glasses include anti-reflective and anti-glare coating with no additional cost and a hard case and a cleaning cloth. So you get your whole eyeglass package all in one. There's no extra crap to buy. And it's so easy to do. You, th- you say to yourself, I don't want to buy my glasses online. How's that going to work? Here's how it works. It's completely risk-free because they send you five pairs of glasses. You go online, you pick out the glasses that look good to you online, and you can actually see them on a person's face from every angle to see what they might look like on you. You order the five pairs that you think might look good. They send them to you, and you try them on at home. You look at them in the mirror. You dance around in your underpants. You show them to your loved one, your kids, your friends, strangers on the street. They exclaim, oh my God, you're so sexy with those corrective lenses on your face. And then you go back. You have five whole days to do this. You send them back also for using their prepaid uh, shipping label. And you have no obligation to buy glasses at this point. Maybe you decide you'd like to continue to walk into walls and tumble over dogs and tiny children. But if you pick your favorite frames, you order them. And here is what's so awesome. They get started on them right away. They will get you within 10 business days, but they usually come even quicker. I think my pair came in five. And for every pair of glasses sold by Warby Parker, They distribute a pair of glasses to someone in need, someone in a developing country who needs to see and cannot see. It is a huge issue in countries. You think, hey, your glasses are expensive. In other countries, they can't even get glasses. They can't afford them. And it affects quality of life in dramatic ways. People can't work. Kids can't study if they cannot see. So Warby Parker is a rad company. Their glasses are stylish, cool, beautifully made and affordable. And every pair you buy equals a pair of glasses that go to a person in need. So check this out. It's a great offer and a great company. You don't have to sacrifice style for philanthropy. It's the best of all worlds combined in some kick-ass frames. Go to warbyparker.com slash guy to avail yourself of the offer, the free try-on, uh, and these beautiful glasses at a beautiful price with uh, a really great way to give back built in to their business model. Check it out. It's warbyparker.com slash girl on guy. Check that out. All right. As I mentioned, this is the second half of the conversation with Cheryl Underwood. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the first one. It was revelatory. It was emotional. I got emotional. I'm sure I get emotional in this one too. Um, If you thought you knew her, you definitely did not. If you just knew her as my co-host on the talk, or if you just knew her as a stand-up comedian or as the host of BEZG's Comic View, she is so much more than all of those things. Um, She is a a military veteran, um, a brilliant mind. She has multiple degrees uh, and her comedy, her comedy point of view and attitude and timing are second to none. So I hope you enjoyed this second conversation with, uh, with a lovely, well, the second half of a two day conversation with the lovely and talented comedian producer, my co-host on the talk, the sensational Cheryl Underwood coming at you straight out of my dressing room at the talk and right into your face. Um, 
All right. Uh, this is part two of my Cheryl Underwood uh, uh, Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a Hobbit. Huh? It is. It is. It is. Mm-hmm. It's our. It's our. It's our magnum magnum opus. Mm-hmm. And um and well, we, there's always so much to talk about, but we'll never get it all done if we don't start. Mm-hmm. So when we left off last, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you were. You had been you had been thinking about doing stand up, and mm-hmm. you had looked in the newspaper. Yes, and you had seen an ad for a comedy club, and this is in Chicago. In right? Chicago, yeah, okay. I think it was the Sun Times. Uh, there was a, a small little thing that said comics wanted Apple Pub, mm-hmm. and the address was Irving Park Road. Okay. So I get on the train uh, to uh, get off at Irving Park Road, and I catch I get on the bus, and I remember the bus driver was Puerto Rican, uh-huh. and uh, I said, "Do you know where this?" address is uh-huh. and he said he looked at the piece of paper and he said you going there and I go yeah and he goes do you know what kind of neighborhood that is and I was like no it's just a neighborhood they need comics right going right. to do comedy he kind of laughed and he and he held the the, the bus to walk to until I got all the way walked down the street did he did and, he yeah and people were just yelling out the Foulest stuff because you know Chicago is, is a great city, mm-hmm. but it can be quite segregated. Well, I was gonna say it's uh, my experience with it is that it's it may be similar to Boston, like really fractured. Right, the, yeah. this is the black neighborhood. That's the yeah. Latino neighborhood. And this is the Irish neighborhood. Yeah, that's right. And you don't come here. But I grew up in Chicago, so I knew the places that you don't go to, right? Or you don't go after dark, or you mm-hmm. don't get off the bus. Right. We know right. that. We knew that. But what I thought was wow was that they were yelling and then I really did not know that there there's a Dick Gregory joke that's similar to what I said. I get there mm-hmm. and I see that this is really a pub. Okay. And it ain't, ain't none of us in it. Really? Okay. So what kind of a neighborhood was it? Was it like an Irish, like I a think white it, working I think class it was neighborhood? A, a Irish, like, yeah. we don't take no who you know here. <laughs> yeah. You, how the, how why the are you here? Yeah. 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 Wow. But what was funny was, at first I, I didn't know what joke to tell, so I just automatically said... You white people are so nice. And and they looked at me and I said, uh, somebody just yelled out, nigger, go back to Africa. And I was like, and they gonna send me on vacation to see my people in the motherland. <laughs> and that that opened the door. <laughs> and then somebody yelled out, "Have you ever had sex with a white man?" I said, "Yes," but that's because the rent was due and he was the landlord. I but that. now I own the building. Oh, bitch! Pussy come on. Put it and, and <laughs> After that, I was coming every week, and it was standing room only, and nobody could get there. They were coming to see this girl that that everybody was talking about. And right. there were these white, hard people that mm-hmm. was like, what the fuck? You right. know? And I was wearing my Clark Kent glasses there, those military uh, Yes, the glasses. military issue. Drew Carey used to wear those glasses yeah. as well in the military. And, but I was yeah. also wearing a mid-drift cutoff top. I was a size three, between size three and five at that time. Had the, you know, the, the, the it's nice- interesting. Janet Jackson's stomach and everything. I always think of you as as petite, but when you were young, you were like really like tiny. Yeah, yeah. So and then so I was kind of it was kind of sexy nerdy thing. Yes, yes. And and but all this uh, political stuff, and I would talk about uh, the the uh, councilman at that time. uh, Harold Washington was the mayor, Mm -hmm. and I was the first black mayor of Chicago. And and we you know we work everybody work on a campaign. All the neighborhoods. So I was talking about aldermen, you know, and that. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. was really the kind of the growth of my political humor because I didn't really have a set. Right. You know, right. I had jokes, sexual jokes that I was doing in, in black lives like Robert 500 Room or Mr. G's mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, the Schick Rick House and stuff like that, that I knew worked there. Mm-hmm. I really didn't know how to talk to other races of people, mm. but I knew that I wanted to do sex, God and politics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that the three, like, uh, I mean, I'm trying to feel like how to articulate this, but like mm-hmm. they're like the three things that you're supposed to stay, stay away from. from. Is the, right? the ones yeah. that I wanted. Yeah. And I wanted to have as much power in my set to influence thought mm-hmm. as the great comics that I was looking at. And, and like I was saying, I like Mort Saul. And yeah. I, and I, I love the Godfrey Cambridges. And I, I, I just love the, the, the Dick Gregory's the more research I was doing. And and what I tried to stay away from was, you know, when you when you first start doing comedy, you need to look at other comics to get the mechanism. Just to of understand comedy. the math of That's comedy. Right. How That's does right. it work? Because you have intuitive shit. You think, well, I think this is funny. Right. But until you understand how to set things up, how That's to right. play the audience. That's right. Yeah. That's and right. you have to learn by watching. You That's can't right. just That's yeah. right. And you have to pivot out of a mistake. Mm-hmm. But you have to have some some go-to yeah. stuff that you know is going to work. And for me, um, I wanted to be as relaxed as my family was in the kitchen. Yeah, my yeah. father was hilarious. My older brother Michael, hilarious. Yeah, you know my uncles were hilarious people. You know, and so you in there cooking and stuff. So I would take jokes from the house and practice them on these white people because I knew they'd never see my relatives. Right, but I wasn't doing that humor. <laughs> you haven't seen my relative people. do his stand up. <laughs> right, and yeah, you, know, yeah. my, you know my brother and his friends. Well, oh, that's my joke. You know, <laughs> but I was taking their the. the scenarios yeah, and using yeah. it there. And, and what it really did for me, it, it also taught me when was a good time to leave something. Mm. Once I had built the room, and it was right. just a small place, could hold maybe 100, 150 people mm-hmm. all packed in. Mm-hmm. And um, that's also when drinking became a part of the celebration of comedy. Right. So right. we'd do the set, there'd be other comics up, they'd get up and do set, and we'd all be drinking in an Apple Pub, and we'd mm-hmm. all either get on a train or get in a cab and go, home mm-hmm. and uh, it did endear me to a, a set of people that probably didn't like black people right. as a whole mm-hmm. just because of a way of life mm-hmm. and so uh it, i did have a militant uh, uh kind of feeling at certain times when things would happen i became very very angry racially now when things would happen in your set or when things would happen in the world both Okay. Both, both, uh, and and when things would happen in the set, I, I would be angry because I'm like, so you didn't do this to anybody else, right? So you think you're gonna pop off at me, right? You know, right? And then, so I, you know, and everybody got this, you know, st- typical comeback. You know, I don't knock the broom out your hand. You know, I don't knock the dick out your mouth. Yeah, you yeah, exactly. And stuff like that. But then there was another situation where. Um, I, my father was a blue dog Democrat. He was a conservative Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, once he found out I was a Republican, mm-hmm. um, because I was doing all this this library study, and I'm like, well, really, I'm a Republican. Frederick Douglass, mm-hmm. uh, Senator Edward Brooks, Arthur Fletcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the. Well, the, you have to if you go back far enough. Yes, yeah, Jackie uh, yeah, Robinson. It's an, it's an appealing. It, it wouldn't be affirmative action. If it wasn't for Arthur Fletcher bringing it to Richard Nixon. So, mm-hmm. so I'm thinking, I'm like, well, maybe I'm this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know, and Democrat, you know, when you look. In, in Chicago, 
Chicago, you in patronage, mm-hmm. you looking at aldermen. We are taught, and, and I'm not saying it's legal, wink, wink. I'm, <laughs> I'm saying we're taught when you get pulled over by the police, you hand them your driver's license with a $20 bill folded underneath the driver's license. That was what, what it was like in Chicago? That's what we were taught to do. Wow. And we were taught that if you ever needed something taken care of, mm-hmm. you go to uh, Cicero, uh, mm-hmm. for all of us that took Latin, Kika roll. <laughs> you know, you go over there and get it taken care of. So while we may have lived separately, we know we went to the Italians for certain things. Mm. We went to the Irish for certain things. You know, we went mm-hmm. to, you know, K-Town or, or somewhere else for certain things. Mm-hmm. To, but but everybody was separate. But and worst term, separate but equal. Right, right, yeah. It's, a, it's the Chicago way. So I wanted to talk about those things, and the more I wanted to talk about uh, Republicanism, because I was like, okay, Democrats think they got us on lock, and they seem to want us to be broke. Mm-hmm. You know, want us mm-hmm. to be poor. I believe in the gospel of prosperity. You know, so Ronald Reagan is out, and you know, and everything is happening, and it's the '80s, and and I'm like, well, what's wrong? Uh, Ronald Reagan looked better than Gorbachev with the short, <laughs> with the birthmark on the head, and everything. We about to beat the Russians. Plus, I was in the military. Yeah, yeah, and I could and, see that also with your faith-based upbringing. That's that right. That would bring that's you that's absolutely yeah. right. And they were showing us films where the Russians was um, playing their war games with live ammo and live chemical what they was telling us live fire they was flamethrowers before Star Wars flamethrower rush I was like how we beat these motherfuckers <laughs> you know? we had to mix up some some Drano with some lines of Vaseline and some, throw it on them some vinegar and some yeah, baking soda yeah 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 <laughs> some salt or something how we gonna beat them so those were the type of jokes that were growing within me and I remember doing Indecision 96 Mm-hmm. You remember that? I do. I do remember it that. It was uh, uh, Bill Maher. Yeah. Well, he, he yeah. Also, and they asked me to do Republican material. Mm-hmm. And I, it was in, uh, was it in Aspen? I think it was in Aspen. US uh, that makes sense to me. I'm trying to think back that I far. I think it was yeah. Aspen. Mm-hmm. And them white people, because I guess the, it was the liberal Hollywood faction of uh, agents and yes. you know people that yeah. flew in to do it. And they was looking at me with the twist mouth. It was one white lady with a fur coat smiling at me, not good. That's right. <laughs> That's right. But I was essentially bombing. Really? Bombing, bombing. Wow. And I, and I do kind of a comic. There's things that I learned from that set. A comic, uh, a, a white male comic, kind of was trying to like kind of knock me off my rhythm before I went out. We got into this debate mm-hmm. and um, I, I didn't let it shake me, but I wasn't as focused as I should have been. Right, right, And right. I did the jokes that the producers told me to do. Right. Well, whenever you get into that thing and you have to run material by people, mm-hmm. even when it's your own, I mean, it's always your own stuff, but even right. when you know they've selected from the stuff you've offered them, that's right. it throws you out of your yeah, own, own rhythm, rhythm of like, this that's is my right. set, this is what that's I want right. to do. Yeah. So what I learned that night, um, because it didn't go well, and I and I remember talking to the producers and they were saying, well, we're going to cut it out of the thing. And I, oh, said, let me, I said, let me just explain something too. First, I thank you for that. But also, I know that footage will show up when I become the comic that I'm going to become. Yeah, yeah. It's going to show up. Mm-hmm. I said, so you can air it mm-hmm. and, and and do whatever you want with it mm-hmm. or you can not cut it out. But I thank you for the opportunity. Right. The, the thing that I learned, though, was when you are called to do any performance of your own material, mm-hmm. you do what got you invited. And the yeah. person that told me that was Tupac Shakur. 
Wow. Told me that. We were taping. Uh, remember Roseanne had that show Saturday Night Special or whatever? Yeah, it was a, like a kind of a variety, variety thing. Show, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was there, and I was kind of pacing uh, backstage. and Because at that time, I was doing some strong... O.J. Simpson, you know that motherfucker did it. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why y'all bullshitting me been black since 71. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, black man with a knife. And, uh, so I was doing all this material. And uh, it, it, there is a, for us as African-American comics and female comics, you run the risk of all it takes is one moment in your set to turn everybody against you, right? right to do, just to derail. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. But I was killing with the material, and I was the only one taking a different perspective yeah. Yeah. of you wouldn't whoop my ass, mm-hmm. and, and my family ain't going to stand by and watch me get my ass whooped yeah. just because you are who you say you're you are. You're famous and you're rich. That's and you got, right. Yeah, That's exactly. right. They're going to jump in one you know, time. who you are. That's yeah. right. And when I go back to OJ mm-hmm. the next day, because I'm going to go back. Back to him because that's how the shit go. My family gonna go. You on your own this time. Don't call us when he dot that eye. So those were the jokes that I was doing. And Tupac and I were in the green room. Didn't even know he knew me. And he said, "Cheryl." And I turned around and I said, "Wow, you know." And, yeah. I, and he said, "What's the matter?" And I said, oh, "I'm just kind of worried, you know." And this was after Indecision '96, mm-hmm. so I was like, "I'm just kind of worried." And so he put his arms around. It was funny. Mm-hmm. We didn't even know each other. Put his arms around me. Smelled great. <laughs> I think he was wearing a cashmere sweater or something that costs a lot of money. And so he said, look, they invited you. You didn't invite yourself. Do what got you invited. And and from that day on, I did what got me invited. And I was just so, he said, sure, you know you funny. I know you funny. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm the baddest out here in my game. Mm-hmm. You do what got you invited. And and what that taught me was the, you do what the, what the producer saw, mm-hmm. but then you do the joke above and below it. To establish your relationship with your audience. Mm-hmm. A lot of comics don't understand. You can establish a relationship with your audience in less than 30 seconds if you set up the jokes right. Right. Don't you don't go out and go, hi, I'm Cheryl Underwood and I'm from yeah. Arkansas. Yeah. You go out there and you you do some jokes that get them on the side, some transitional jokes. And that's why I do uh, my jokes. It was a joke book, I wish I would I think it was something a Melitzer, um, where they talk about writing in threes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I write in threes. Mm-hmm. Good jokes. Joke, better joke, killer joke, move on. Move Good on. joke, better yeah. joke. So it's a rhythm. Boom, 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 move mm-hmm. on. Boom, 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 move on. And so I learned that. Then, then, then I got through that set and it worked out. And Roseanne, I find out, wanted to do a sitcom with me. And you know the black guy that's on uh, Grey's Anatomy? The older man. Oh, God, he's so great. He was there yeah. last night. Yes, he was. He, was. he night. hugged me. I can't think he of his name, me. and I'm terrible. Uh, James, he's so lovely. Not James. Um, oh, I'm oh, terrible. You know, I, I, I can't ever help. Well, I never show. remember he's a Mar- handsome married men's names oh, good. anymore. <laughs> I'm like, you who? Because <laughs> I always get caught up. That's oh, that's well, part three. We yes. have to get back together and talk <laughs> sex. <laughs> but... Um, I thought it was James Packer. No, it's like Not, Barden or Pardon or uh, something. Yes. something. Yes. So anyway, she wanted to do after that. She wanted to do a sitcom mm-hmm. with us where we were at first. She was going to introduce us on Roseanne mm-hmm. and then she was going to do oh, the sitcom. Wow. It's really, really cool. But I'm glad it I mean, it, I'm glad it kind of didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And then the next time I really learned by the time my reputation uh, had because I didn't get Comic View like everybody else. Okay. Now, before you talk about Comic View, because I want to because we're going we're gonna to dive into both of those uh-huh. in like a real way. Uh-huh. The one thing I wanted to point out that I was hearing from you that I really enjoyed mm-hmm. was 
and I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not trying to liken us in any kind of like, you know, oh, uh, I'm like you, but, but we are thing, very similar. We're similar in, yeah. in, we're, we're similar in different ways, but yeah. like really similar in yeah. the fact that what you did was, it, it wasn't calculated. You were being who you were, but what you found was mm -hmm. the cut that yeah. really distinguished you from everybody else yeah. doing stand-up comedy. Yeah. And people would have looked at you and been like, "Oh, okay, she's a black female comedian. Yes. She's got this. She's just like A, B, C, D, yes. E." But you, there's nobody like you, and there never has oh, been. Oh, that's so I'm sweet. Serious. Look at Not just because you're funny, because you're fucking funny as shit, but because you. You were you were going to be yourself. You weren't going to say, okay, well, you know, I'm a black Republican and, and people aren't feeling that shit, so let me move over here. Yes. I not, you know what I mean? Yes. You just did you and – but that that requires a fight, Cheryl, because yeah. you're not doing what people expect of you. And a lot of times people are like, can't you be more like this because it would I work wasn't better. Getting, I wasn't getting work because one side I was too dirty and the female – the black female comics were not considered adult. They mm -hmm. were doing song parodies. They were talking about – my man, I don't have no money. Mm -hmm. My man ain't got no money, and I don't have no money. Mm -hmm. Or, or uh, there were uh, very obese, unattractive women. That kind of uh, non-threatening, yes, you know. Yes, yes. Which, which was decent in comedy. You didn't see sexual swagger come out the black female comedian until Marsha Warfield, really. Right. The only I, one I thought I about I saw her do a hot dog, eating a hot dog joke. <laughs> and I was like, if she can do that, I can do a straight right. up head joke. Right, right. You know? I was thinking about moms, mainly. Maybe. But she wasn't, she was doing sexual material, but she wasn't, a, when you looked at her, she wasn't sexual. That's right. She was an old lady talking bad. With no teeth. You know, and so she right, could say anything. anything. Crazy old lady. That's yeah, right. Yeah. And everybody dug it. But that kind of power was what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And then you see a Whoopi Goldberg doing characters. Right. And I don't do characters. And, and it was not my goal to be an actress. Right. My goal was to be a comic mm -hmm. like the men. Yeah. I wanted to have power. Mm -hmm. Stand on stage, didn't move around, don't have props. Right. I'm Dominate. That's right. Do the set. And if the set ain't working, you better figure out how to make it work <laughs> fast enough. Yeah. So by the time my reputation was growing, and I was married uh, when I was growing my career in Chicago. See, what happened was I started in Fresno, uh, I think in the, in the early 80s. Bitch, I need a map. <laughs> For, I was in Fresno. Like, well, <laughs> see, because I went to Atwater High, San Joaquin Valley, Atwater High, being rally commissioner. They don't go on to get in college, mm -mm. community college. So I was going to Fresno City College. Okay. And so they had this funniest woman in Fresno contest. And I was wearing this uh, uh, leopard kind of high V uh, 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 leotard thing mm -hmm. that was very sexy and my hair was all blown out. It was a very African look. Mm -hmm. And I was doing all this sexual material. And they was looking at me like, ugh. <laughs> and the men was like, I want to clap, but my girlfriend's looking at me. Yeah, right, right, you know, right. You know, yeah, so, exactly. So I knew I had some. And I was wearing pumps and fishnets on stage. So then by the time I get to Chicago and really start testing out that type of point of view, women were popping up out my show like the Great Pumpkin. Well, I'm not listening to this. I'm not doing any of this. I'm not doing it. But men were clapping. Right. So I was like, okay. Yeah. So I think I have the men. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if I could just find a way to get the women. Mm -hmm. So by the time uh, I get to first Deaf Comedy Jam, mm -hmm. there, there, there comes a show mm -hmm. that seems to be perfect for what I do. Perfect for you. Because yes. not only is it focused on kind of 
black comedy and the yes. black point of view, but it was on cable. So you could yes. do your material and you didn't have to alter it. That's right. Uncut. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the urban comedy raw like hip hop mm-hmm. was. So what happened was by, my husband died. Uh, I went back to my maiden name, mm-hmm. got a job, came out here to California and everybody was calling me. And you were well, out of the military at this point? No, I was still in the military. Uh, by the time I was getting, uh, I got the call to be mobilized again for Desert Storm, Desert Shield. Okay. And then I was at, I was stationed at O'Hare Field. I was in the, in the Air Force Reserve. I was stationed at O'Hare Field. And then they flew me back to Travis Air Force Base to do, um, to be mobilized for Desert Storm, Desert okay. Shield. Okay. So I was still doing all this, working on my master's degree, you know, trying to rebuild my life. Can and, I ask you a quick question mm-hmm. about that time? <clears throat> Which is... Because I, I really wanted this hour to be about stand-up, but, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're, you're an artist on stage, and your experiences in your life, mm-hmm. whether directly or indirectly, are right. always a part of what's going on with you right. as a performer. You've, you've lost your husband, yeah. which I know was incredibly traumatic. It, it devastated me because I wanted to be uh, a entertainer who, when I put my bags down, my kids go, Mommy, you're home. What did you bring me? Yeah. And the dog ran up on me and my husband go, I need a sandwich. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's what I really want. I want to be a wife and a mother and in the community and do community service uh, you know, uh, and do everything I, I wanted to do um, as an entertainer and, mm-hmm. and have those things merged together. I wanted to have a full life yeah. as an entertainer. Yeah. And when my husband died and I was like, wow, dude, I'm supposed to be doing this together with right. you. Right. And I did not want to get back on stage. And it was Bernie Mac that came. His nickname was Blue. Came when I was in Chicago. So I know we're going back and forth. But it's Bernie okay. Mac, all of us knew each other. Bernie Mac, Adele Givens, all of us knew each other. Uh, Damon Wayans, everybody. We knew each other from them coming and judging yeah. contests and all of us working together in Chicago. So Bernie Mac comes and uh, he knew somebody that lived across the street then he then they found out oh she lives over there Bernie came with a little jug of Ernest and Julio Gallo wine and they said blue is at the door and I was like what is that motherfucker doing in my house <laughs> you know I, I don't know him like that and right. he sat me down he said bitch What's, what's wrong with you? Because mm-hmm. I was drinking a case of beer a day, wasn't bathing, just would sit around in a house coat. Which makes sense after you've lost your I was, I was hurt. I was yeah. hurt. And Bernie said, bitch, you going to let all the dreams die? You know, we know you love this motherfucker. He was looking, he mean mugging all us anyway. We know you love him, but get your ass together and get back on stage. And that kind of gave me the strength. And there was always some kind of guardian angel or somebody that would go, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. You're going to mm-hmm. blow this, right. you know, and you have talent mm-hmm. and, and you and you can do this. Now, did it come easy? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Everything that I've ever done, I had to fight for. Mm-hmm. Even going to Deaf Comedy Jam, they were like, hey, you you, at first, I couldn't get on it. Mm-hmm. Couldn't get on it for nothing in the world. And all the all my friends were on it. Right. Yvette Wilson, you know, I knew Adele Givens. Adele Givens came to me, uh, we were at Roses on the west side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was back uh, when, uh, oh, it was really drinking days mm-hmm. where you could drink and still be the same size you were. You know, it wasn't <laughs> affecting you, right? And I remember that that day because my husband was talking to me about a divorce, possibly. Really? And I said, before I left to go do the gig, motherfucker, I told you I don't believe in divorce. I told you not to marry me. I told you not to fuck with me. And when you said, I don't want to marry you, but I don't want nobody else to marry you, I thought that was the, that was you loving all this. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know that there was something mentally happening to him. Right. 
And I remember Adele walking up to me going, I want to do what you do and this, this, this. And I said, baby, what you do is do your life, do your set. Nobody can steal you Mm -hmm. from you. Mm -hmm. You do it. And don't let nobody tell you you can't do it, Mm -hmm. especially as a woman. Mm -hmm. You can do it just like I'm doing it, just like anybody else is doing it. Mm -hmm. And and so we knew all these people. And then when she went, it's my understanding, she went to New York. I went to California, mm-hmm. and I also stopped doing comedy under my married name and was doing it under my maiden name. So then we find out that, um, and I've really never told this story, that uh, uh, it was Hope Flood, who's a, a, a good friend of mine, and we have this very love-hate, cancer-Scorpio relationship. It's me, uh, Melly Camacho, Hope Flood. We're all good friends. Uh, Stacy McClain, uh, so you know these names. Kim Whitley, yeah. uh, Sherry Shepard. You know, we're all good friends. And uh, when I met Samora, I met Samora on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And I remember Samora and I talking about why the... the Black female comic have to look bad. Why can't she be sexy? Mm-hmm. Why can't she be sharp? Mm-hmm. And when I saw you, remember when I saw you at the comedy festival? Yeah, that was in Montreal. And, and you were hosting. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, you know, at the comedy festival, they jaded and watched comedy. And I said, hold the, hold the fuck on, hold the fuck on. You introduced me. I said, hold the fuck on. You, you motherfuckers gonna clap for this bitch. She doing <laughs> shit I can't even do. She on friends. She doing shit. You a motherfucker clap. God damn it. Come back out here and introduce yourself. You know, uh, uh, All right, like you know, because I burn this motherfucker down. I don't give a fuck if you like me or not. I don't need no goddamn TV show. Yeah. But you're gonna respect this girl. I remember. And, that. and that's, that's how we kind of bonded. Yeah, that's how we kind of bonded. But then I I got a call. Hope Flood was on the phone with another comedian who told me that I was being blocked. And it from was Def Comedy from Jam? From Def Comedy Jam. And I've never said this person's name because she's no longer on this earth. Mm. God rest her soul. Yvette Wilson. Oh, really? And um, Here, let's put it. Oh, hold on. Can you put, uh, okay, uh, do you need to get it? No, uh, no, no, not at all. And it was Yvette Wilson. And she was telling me. That uh, being black. And I remember I started to cry. Mm. And Hope and Yvette was like, don't cry. I've never named those people. Never. I won't tell you who they said was, was blocking, blocking you. I would just say. Is that person still on the earth? That person is still on this earth and still alive. Hope is still alive. The person that they said was blocking me is still alive. And, and Yvette Wilson passed, passed on. So in my mind, I thought. Okay, I get this. You know, I watch All About Eve. I don't know yeah. how it go. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. So, uh, my friend Andre, he's a personal trainer out here now. Um, and he, he's a co that I was being blocked. Yes, yeah, so you were being blocked uh, okay. from, from Def Comedy Jam. And yeah. you're saying you didn't know who the, you know who the person was. I knew who the person say. was. They told me who the person mm-hmm. was. And the reason that I cried is because I never thought that that person would do it. And the reason Mm. I have to say that person Mm -hmm. is because when someone blocks you, um, you could either be mad about it and become bitter, Mm -hmm. or you can go, maybe they're making a point. Maybe there's something about me. Or maybe it's competitive or, you know, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm trying to figure out why is this happening. Why is this happening? Right, right. right. So, and I I was sad. But then what I thought was, I talked to my friend Andre, Mm -hmm. and because he only goes by one name, I never can remember his last name. (laughs) But he's been my friend for years in Chicago comedy. Mm -hmm. So I had moved to uh, Los Angeles with my younger sister and, you know, setting up life here. 
year. Mm-hmm. And Andre was like, oh, I just got a, a Geo. So you know what year that was. Oh, he had just God. got a Geo. Yes. Remember the yes, Geos I came out? I remember the Geo. And he said, well, uh, let's go. Let's drive from Los Angeles to New York and mm-hmm. audition for Def Jam. And whichever one uh, get on, we try to get the other one on or at least be in the in the vicinity right, in right. case somebody fall out right. or don't make it and maybe do a set. We drove to the Peppermint Lounge, Orange, New Jersey. Got there at, uh, I think, 2 o'clock, club closed at 1 o'clock. Miss, missed the night by oh, one hour. wow. We drove through the snow. Uh, we didn't have any money. We popped some popcorn, put it in a bag. That's what we were eating. Uh, we had the, the plastic jug of water. It cost like a dollar. Yes, That's yes. what we were drinking. Like the distilled water yes, on the bottom yeah. shelf. And yeah. it wasn't even distilled. It was just water <laughs> you know, in the thing. And we had enough money for gas, enough money for maybe a hamburger. And we drove. We One would sleep and one would drive. Mm-hmm. So I got there. I called my dad. My dad was alive at that time. My mother, my stepmother and my father were alive. And I, and I called him. I said, do we know anybody in? In New York or in on the East Coast or in this area, and he said, "Well, your cousin Ernest Lee and you, and his wife Tina, which is my cousin Ernest Lee and Tina, right?" And so uh, I found them, stayed in the co-op. Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, then uh, my cousin Baby Dial, Jimmy Smith, he was in radio. But at that time, he was working for a Hush Management, which was Melba Morris, uh, a company. Mm-hmm. They had Freddie Jackson and Melissa Morgan yeah. and all that stuff. So um, we stayed I, We stayed over. Andre went back and did a gig. I stayed over and I auditioned in the Peppermint that night. Mm-hmm. Bill Bellamy was hosting. And this was, you know, it's urban, urban. They boo mm-hmm. you if they don't like what you what you Right wear. off the if bat. If they don't like what you're from, yeah. such and such, such and such. We don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> so they start booing. Rowdy club. I was scared to death. Uh, and I had a triple shot of straight gin. Mm. Straight gin. Mm-hmm. No water, no Nothing. ice. Straight no. gin. Drank it down, went in the bathroom. This girl, beautiful girl. She's from Rockaway. She looked like Holly Berry. She said, what's wrong? I said, I said I'm scared. She said, scared of what? You a girl. We're going to laugh at everything you say. We got your back, girl. You know. Oh, and so then I, I, they told me to do seven minutes. I got up and did, I think it had to be 30, 45 minutes of <laughs> political material, uh, very political Afrocentric material, and very hardcore sexual material. Mm-hmm. And that was back when uh, Apache was doing, a, I Need a Gangsta Bitch. Mm-hmm. Remember mm-hmm. that song? Yes. That big motherfucker ran up to me, picked me up out the angle. That's how you do a motherfucking set right there. And I got, um, remember the dude, I think his name was Derek Fox, I think. And and he was doing a Shanene type character before Shanene, mm. before Wanda. Mm-hmm. He was in the audience of the Apollo with an acrylic bob wig, but he had a full bearded mustache. I think I do remember yes. him. Yes, and yeah. he was there, and he got me on Showtime at the Apollo, no Apollo Comedy Hour. Okay, and I taped that. That aired, be- I think, either before or after Def Jam. Mm-hmm. But and then the next day, uh, they called my cousin's house, and and I talked to Bob Sumner and them, and they said. Can you do Death Comedy Jam? And I said, Well, I have a friend with me, and and I, can we get a room where there's two beds in it? And mm-hmm. how do we park? And I don't have any clothes. So they gave us a little per diem, mm-hmm. you know. They gave everybody per diem, mm-hmm. and uh, I was trying to find clothes, and I didn't know how to shop in New York. Right, because right. you in Midtown Manhattan, so expensive. It, how can you right. do it? That's no, right. And I don't even think there were choices. Like now, you could just roll up into H and M or something and get some cheap. That's stuff, right. But, and yeah. see, I didn't know, and I didn't know you go to Chinatown. I didn't mm-hmm. know. I had never been to New York like that. Yeah. You know, and so I. Um, 
what I was what what you see me wearing those black stretch pants and that yeah. orange that little baby orange shirt mm-hmm. that I put a a safety pin in it so it'll show my waist yeah. and my butt. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I drove to New York in, and that's what I did the audition set at the Peppermint Inn and taped at Comedy Jam Inn. And I remember getting blowback. Oh, you ain't from Chicago? Because I asked Martin. They they asked you what is your first joke? What is your last joke? And the, and then they, then you got to hold up what you're wearing. Right. I said my first joke is. Two drinks might get your dick sucked. Last joke, bitches need to suck more dick. (laughs) I had up a little bitty baby shirt and went, and this is what I'm wearing. All you can hear is, that's the bitch from the peppermint. That's the bitch from the peppermint. Oh, this is about to be wild. I was scared. I had two little bottles of alcohol in my purse. I asked Andre to go get me a Coke in front of, you know, a little plain bottle yeah, of alcohol. Yeah. Put them up in the in the drink, drank it, got out there. Boom, 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 boom. Everybody was like, who is this girl? Even Martin Lawrence said, come back out here. Cheryl Underwood, if you look at the tape, he goes, she's funny. She blue. She dirty. But she funny. Yeah. And that was kind of the blessing yeah. You know, and then to yeah. go on and do uh, of um, uh, First Amendment with him, you know, producing mm-hmm. the Doug Williams thing, mm-hmm. me hosting. I mean, it, somebody's always opened a door for me when somebody else thought they had closed the door. Right, right. You know? And what's interesting is you can never discount people uh, seeing your talent and 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 paving a way but at the same time you're paving your own way because at any point along this road you could have said fuck it i can't do this anymore it's too hard oh. or there are people out there agitating against me like you know maybe it maybe it's not going to happen for me when people when you know you can always have the idea that there might be somebody out there sitting on your right. on your sunshine but when yeah. you know it that can be oh, yeah. very devastating. Oh yeah, and let me tell you, the the time most of my career has been a man mm-hmm. that said gay or straight, black mm-hmm. or white, it's mm-hmm. always been a man. Mm-hmm. And and I remember when I was going through a lot of uh, anger and pain um, because you know white club owners at that time could say anything to you mm-hmm. so I was mm-hmm. angry mm-hmm. you know I was militantly angry and I remember seeing we were taping full full frontal comedy I think Dom Arrow was the oh, host Dom, of it. I love him and it was the it was it was white they, they when they called me to do it they said this is white deaf comedy jam mm-hmm. and they were doing it in the laugh factory yeah and I was like okay I, yeah. I could do that mm-hmm. And I picked my jokes out, and before we went on, uh, somebody said, Buddy Hackett is in the Laugh Factory. Oh. I was like, Buddy Hackett. I love Buddy Hackett. <laughs> man, man, world. And I love his commercials. I love Buddy Hackett, you know, because, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a hood. Yeah, no, but, but you I'm, have I'm a I'm all really, the way white. You have to, <laughs> inside. You have, you, and you have diverse taste. Yeah, yeah. So, so I ran up to him and just hugged him and just, like, and started, like, squeezing his neck. And I was like, Buddy Hackett, I love you. And I was talking about this, this. And I heard in Las Vegas, they don't even let you go on someplace because you so dirty. And he was like, who the fuck said that? <laughs> I go anywhere I want to go. And then he, he kind of pushed me back and said, uh, he said, can I tell you something? I said, what? He said, all that love you showing me, mm-hmm. you want to succeed? Show it to your audience every time you get on stage. Oh, that's and, and And the love will come back to you, and that's going to make you successful. Now, I believe that was God because I don't think he knew some of the things that I was going through and how it was coming out of my set, mm-hmm. you know, because I used to do this stupid joke because um, I was so angry. What go good with chili? Mm. What, what, what do you think? What, what would be the first thing you say? I what go good cheese. with cheese? Mm. What's the next thing? Sour cream. Mm-mm. What's that? Shit. Hot sauce. <laughs> 
crackers. Oh, no. Not even brought white people up. Let's talk about them motherfuckers. Oh, oh my God. Oh, my this is, and, but black people love that joke. <laughs> and then I was doing this joke about uh, white people steal. Any race of people take land from the Indians and shut up, take two or three dollars out your purse. <laughs> I was doing shit like that. Yeah. And uh, white people are the only race of people that can laugh at themselves. Mm. And, you know, if black people was like, that's what I'm talking about, sister. <laughs> you know, 5%, of, you know. <laughs> but what it did for me was it showed that you can say those political things. Just don't hurt them. Right. That if it's if, if it's clear, it's coming from a pace of affection. Yes. And, yes. And, and we're all in this together. Yes. Yes. And and I was and once I got to the point where I was doing a lot more clubs mm-hmm. uh, and mainstream clubs. Right. I remember uh, uh, was it Bud uh, Friedman? The, Bud with the with the improvs. Yeah. Bud Friedman told yeah. me to my face at the uh, funniest woman in Chicago, a funniest comic in Chicago competition in uh, improv on North Wales. Remember mm-hmm. they put one on North Wales? I do. He told me, you'll never work at improv. Never. Jesus. Never. I said, so you say. Mm-hmm. And I walked out. Nice. And I had placed, but I wasn't going to win, but I had placed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, so you say. Mm-hmm. And I, But I had that attitude. And that attitude works for you, and sometimes it works against you, because you walk in with your fist balled up. Right. You know? Right. And so what I had to learn was how to massage that and polish that. And then I was working comedy clubs, and uh, I was doing this uh, militant very racial, militant material. Um, I remember white girls would get up. Uh, there was a white girl named, uh, is it Paula Bell? Paula Bell. And she got She up. was a real black-friendly comedian, though. Like, her That's thing right. was to work black rooms. That's right. Yeah. She worked the Comedy Act Theater right out here in L.A. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. remember sitting in there, and she got on stage, and one day said, niggas ain't shit. Oh, my God. And I had been drinking. Mm-hmm. And... The liquor said, did you hear that? <laughs> and the chicken wing said, yeah, we heard that. <laughs> and I asked, could I go on behind her? Uh-huh. And I said, I understand what the fuck you talking about. But just because the niggas you fuck ain't shit <laughs> don't mean niggas ain't shit. And, and I'm not just mad at you, bitch. I'm mad at this audience for laughing and co-signing on that bullshit. Right. So what you saying is my father ain't shit. My uncles ain't shit. My brothers ain't shit. Yeah. Martin ain't shit. Malcolm ain't shit. Yeah. The minister. You can't say niggas ain't shit in front of niggas. And these <laughs> motherfuckers take that shit. <laughs> and, and got a standing ovation. Standing ovation. I said, yeah. bitch, you need to shape that a little bit better, especially when you in here. Right. You know. Right. Don't and I said to the audience, you ain't gotta take everything. Everything ain't no motherfucking joke. So what <laughs> so what I what I was trying to learn was how do you say things where you don't hurt somebody, but you gotta do what you gotta you do have, yeah. on, on stage. And and one time a, a waitress in a white club said to me, you know, I think you're very funny, but do you hate white people? Mm. And that hurt me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I said no, and that's when I started to talk about my um, uh, 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 relationships with white men mm-hmm. and uh, and the pain that I felt mm-hmm. of not being appreciated by black men. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to talk about the pain that I see when you know it's like you get the brother gets the white girl that ain't she ain't not, but I got to be a nuclear physicist. <laughs> <laughs> with a minor <laughs> microbiology and a, and a size zero <laughs> with the tightest head game in the world and really don't talk to you. <laughs> you know, but she could be anything. And, and and those types of jokes, when I went on BET 
and start telling those type of jokes. But I did get in trouble with one joke where Glad considered me a homophobe. Mm. And and the, the joke was you cannot compare uh, the civil rights movement for blacks with homosexuality because, and I was running down these uh, thrown on a slave ship, sold in the bondage shackle next to a homosexual from another tribe. And the punchline was, dick is like secret deodorant. It's strong enough for a man, but it's made for a woman. Mm-hmm. That destroyed, I didn't say dick. I said another word that was TV friendly, mm-hmm. but it it destroyed Comic View audience. They mm-hmm. was like, that's what I'm talking about. But really, I felt that that was a black empowerment joke, mm-hmm. not a homophobic joke. And when Glad put me on their website, and the only reason I knew that I was on their website, I was taking these general meetings that we take where right. you go to right. introduce yourself to possibly be hired mm-hmm. for TV work and mm-hmm. get your HBO special and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. A man uh, of color, Mm -hmm. I don't know if he was gay or straight, but he was gorgeous, said, can you come into my office before you leave this meeting? Uh, And they wanted to make uh, me and Don Curry husband and wife. Okay. Because they liked the cadence of the way Don and I talked. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he said, I just want you to know, you're probably not going to get this or any other job that a gay person is making a decision. I said... Why you say that? And at that time, my manager was gay. His oh. name was Bart Gallagher. Mm-hmm. He's a wonderful, wonderful man. Curly, beautiful hair. He looked like a debarge. Mm. But he was more woman than me and you. <laughs> but but a really genius guy. Mm-hmm. And um, they said, because you're on Glad's website as a homophobe. And then I was trying to figure out why I never got a chance to be up for the HBO specials. But I was already out there. Fire, fire, fire. And then I was like, Wow. Maybe I need to find a way to articulate my feelings in a different way mm-hmm. so that they're not hurting uh, people. Mm-hmm. And so I asked Bart, I said, can we go talk to Glad so they can get to know me? And then I find a way to make amends. And mm-hmm. Because that's the way I was raised. Right. You know, you make amends. If you mm-hmm. mess up, you own up to it and you make amends and mm-hmm. you never do it again. And uh, Bart Gallagher was like, no. They are very militant. Years later, I understand why you're militant because mm-hmm. you got to fight to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when I'm going through all these things, white people going through all these things, you know, I've said some things about, uh, you know, Latin people in the general space of comedy that I had to learn how to how to massage that so that it didn't hurt people mm-hmm. because these were the men that I was having a relationship with mm-hmm. that I would say this stuff to and they would go, ha, very funny. You should say that on stage. I say it on stage, but he's not there to go, I told her it's okay to say it on behalf of the race. <laughs> right. So that's what I that's what I kinda learned. I kinda learned that you can say anything you want. Uh, as long as you're not hurting someone and you've got to massage and polish it. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. what I've spent years of massaging and and polishing uh, material. That's why people say, well, do you write a joke every day? No, I don't. Mm-hmm. I polish the jokes mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. But if God blesses me with a, another point of view that I need to go in a different direction... I find a way to do it. Uh, a Bay Area Black Comedy Competition. I think I'm the only female that I know of in the history of that competition that placed in the finals three years in a row. And uh, Tony Spires, the founder of it, told me I would never win the Bay Area Black Comedy Competition. I said, then why the fuck do you keep having me come? Right. He said, you sell tickets. 
Jesus Christ. But that's when I learned commerce mm-hmm. and that Republican side of me and commerce. So everything that was happening, I was like, well, I'm going to have to fight my way in. When I did Def Comedy Jam and, and uh, members of Phi Beta Sigma, my fraternity brothers, were the only organization that was booking me for their conference because I said, shout out to the Blue and White family. I, I, the, the set was so dirty. I couldn't say, and I'm a member of Zeta Phi Beta because yeah. we have this thing called Final Womanhood. It's a way a woman carries herself. So I said, well, how do I shout out my organization? So I shouted out and I threw up the sign and everybody was like, that's what I'm talking about. You know, so they were the only ones giving me work so I could survive and pay my bills. Then I got to a point where Comic View wouldn't have me either. And I said, I will wait. And then I got to a point where I was fairly popular enough. I lost the host job twice. Tell me about that. I lost uh, when Samora became the host. Mm-hmm. I lost to Samora. And I, I remember, I think either Quake hugged me, Earthquake mm-hmm. hugged me and said, don't buckle in front of all these people. Mm-hmm. And um, the next time I lost it, I lost to Montana Taylor. I don't even know who that is. Okay. And she's, I think she's comic out of Houston. Okay. And I don't think she's doing comedy anymore. She does this joke about wearing the outfit and keeping the tag on so she could take it back. Okay. Uh, and so, um, but she's, uh, they, these are great comics. I, yeah. I don't, I, I'm not going to uh, shit on no woman. Right. Right. What I learned later, I would say, good, about good five, six, maybe seven years ago, mm-hmm. I'm having drinks with Tony Spires, mm-hmm. who's Montana Taylor's manager. Mm. And, I, and he says, you know, you didn't lose Comic View. I said, what are you talking about? He said, you know, when, when you got into the finals, Montana called me, said she needed help. She needed management. And he may not even recollect this conversation. He told me that he convinced the people that were making the decision that you don't want to work with Cheryl Underwood. It's going to be difficult to work with Cheryl Underwood. Here's where you want to go. Now, when he told me that, by the time he had told me that, I had been hearing consistently that I was considered difficult. Only because I read contracts and I hold you to them. Mm-hmm. And I put things in contracts because the the club will go, well, if you're late, we're going to dock you. Or if you go over your time, I'm going to dock you. Mm-hmm. I put things in contracts. like, And if you ask me to do more time, I'm going to expect more money. <laughs> and if you are late and your ice machine don't work and your tickets are not sold right, I need more money. Yeah. And I hold you to it. Yeah. It's the same thing, the expectation. So, But I also learned that could come off as abrasion, at being a bitch mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. a woman. Mm-hmm. you know. And, and I have this, oh, really, really. And, and the clubs are really accustomed to rolling over comedians. Oh, absolutely. They, absolutely. You got a standing room only, but you was one person off mm-hmm. of the sellout and the bonus. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But and, they and standing you, up. Yeah, exactly. There's no, they had to go get chairs out of the back Hell room. Yeah. People can't, people Hell sit on each other's yeah. laps, but somehow you still didn't Hell make your sellout yeah. bonus. Let me tell you something. When I added male exotic dancers, we call it sexual interpretive dance, <laughs> to my show, we were testing it in a, a comedy, comedy house theater, I think in Savannah, Either Savannah or Augusta, Georgia, Aubrey Pippen, tested it. We were doing Tuesday through Sunday shows at that time. Didn't know I was getting a $28 ticket price at that time, which was unheard of Tuesday through through Sunday. So he's making a grip off of that and making a grip off the bar, the food, the drink, everything. So these guys get up, and I found these guys at another taping 
uh, of a show where they use male exotic dancers, and I was hosting it. I said, you guys want to come on the road with me? And uh, who is the comic? She's uh, kind of a robust woman. And I thought it was, is it Edamate? No. Um, oh, I know. You know, who with you're the headscarf yeah, and the glasses. I know exactly. And I think what you're she about. had male dancers too mm-hmm. with her show. So I bring these black guys on. They from the right track. If you ever come to LA, go to the right track. And I bring these black guys on. And the Tuesday show after the Tuesday show, all the shows sold out. And I remember I was with uh, Nick Nusafaro, who's over at uh, is it UTA now? That I think he's right. he's with Irvin Arthur, mm-hmm. and I think they were only they were paying me four figures for me and to test these guys. When the shows sell out, they came back to me. How much does it cost to keep the guys over? So all they wanted to pay was for the extra hotels and the extra whatever to keep the guys because the shows sell out. I said, Oh no, 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 no! You gonna pay me for the brain power and the expertise mm-hmm. that that came up with the concept? Mm-hmm. Doubled my money. So what I was learning was business and commerce. And the other thing I was learning, too, in doing tapings, I would go to the girl comics and go, because from the mistakes I've made, do your feet hurt in those shoes? Mm -hmm. Yeah, your comedy ain't going to be good. Wear something you're very comfortable in mm-hmm. so you're not pulling on your outfit, uh, shifting on your, your, your way of your shoes. Go flat-footed if that is more comfortable because that's what I like to do. I would ask them, what is your first joke? What is your last joke? What is the joke that you pivot out of when jokes are not working? Mm -hmm. So I was trying to do for female comics what was not done for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I wanted female comics to make it. And I remember when they never had everybody money. And I was like, motherfuck that. You might have my money because I'm the headliner, but you don't have their money. Right. Oh, we Norma Ray up in this bitch. (laughs) (laughs) Give it up. You're going to give me something. So really... I would say this, the dream for me was the commerce of it, the opening doors of it, and the proudest moment for us. I was never anti-BET because they were making the best decisions that they could make. But when it was time for the comedians uh, organizing committee, that discussion really came out of a Comedy Central discussion Mm -hmm. where the white comics were talking about Comedy Central at that Mm -hmm. time. So somebody black got up. And, and, and after, it was before it became SAG after, and said, well, what y'all going to do about BET? And they said, well, we don't really understand what's going on over there. That might be something for the black comedians to get together and work on. And because it was me and Joey Wells, it was, it, it was like different comments. Uh, Leanne, uh, what's her name? Um, oh, it's, it's Leanne something. I can't remember her name, but she was a Sigma Gamma Raw. And there were um, and there was another uh, a female comic who was, I think, an AKA. And then I was a Zeta and Joey Wells was a Sigma. And Buddy Lewis mm-hmm. was the co-chair and he's an Omega. So we organized it. We put in Robert's Rules of Order. Uh, we took minutes for the meetings and we strategically planned how, because they said they'd never unionized BET, mm-hmm. definitely not Comic View. And instead of me trying to bring down and hurt BET, I just felt that we articulate what is fair. Right. And they wanted, I remember somebody uh, white wanted us to picket BET. And I said, no. No. I said, we'd be crucified in the black community. That, well, that person, and I don't know who that is, but mm-hmm. I, that, that, I think that had less to do with race and more to do with the fact that they didn't understand, mm-hmm. um, like when you... When you put up such a public yes. face on what you're trying to do, yes. you're, you're actively closing doors. That's right. And 
I know it was really hard for, for people who don't know that the, the dispute around BET. BET had this show called Comic View. Mm-hmm. They were hiring black comedians. Mm-hmm. They weren't paying them union wages. I think it was fifty dollars. And then they would run their sets Today. over and over. So the network was making you know thou- many many tens of thousands, yes. hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars on the backs of these comedians, and they weren't getting paid for the set, mm-hmm. and they weren't getting residuals. And these were all working comedians yeah. who needed to make a living on this stuff. So their comedy, their art, their work was being exploited. Yes. And 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 there's an irony buried in here mm-hmm. that um, who was the person who eventually came out and was like really public about it um, um, tell oh, me who, what they do uh, stand up comedian I, I have the I have a terrible memory was, uh, he's uh, got little dreads and he t- took over the radio show in, uh, in, in D.L. Hughley no. yeah D.L. D.L. Okay. D.L. Hughley came out and he had you know previously mm-hmm. been hosted at yeah. one mm-hmm. point mm-hmm. To, to say you know this is a black network yeah. exploiting the work of black artists yeah. unapologetically. Yeah. And if we can't rely on ourselves to treat ourselves fairly, That's right. how can we expect other networks to treat us fairly? That's right. And see, my position was we can't destroy the... Uh, the one outlet. Mecha- That's right. For for, for commerce for yeah. us. It's nuanced, we just, right? Yes, yeah. that's right. And so what I was trying to do was make sure I talked to people that I knew at BET and said, we're not against you. We just want you to be fair. Mm-hmm. And we want you to stop being accused of being unfair because right. this ain't cool for anybody. Any of anybody, us. right? Yeah. And, and so from, once we did that, all comics was like, how did you do it? Mm-hmm. We did it through education. We did it through organization. We did it through knowing our history. We, and we also did it for understanding the goal was not to destroy anyone. Right. And that had been flowing through me in, all, in every aspect of my life. Don't destroy anybody. Mm-hmm. Try to be a respite, humorous. My father even would tell me, your job is to be funny. Mm-hmm. Now, if you if you teach me something, I'm cool with that. Right. But your job is to be funny. So that's what I was trying to do. And then when I found out I was my own worst enemy because I was perceived as either difficult to work with, don't know how to get off stage. I didn't know if you if you you write 20 minutes of material, but there's at least 15 minutes of ad living and, and laughter <laughs> yeah. and pausing in there and drinking all your drink and everything. Yeah. So I didn't know that. So I what I did was I tried to fix it by going backwards and being better as a person. Mm-hmm. Better as a comic. Walk in the club. Hello, how are you? Everybody that walks in the club with me as a worker, a performer, everybody got petty cash, tip them. Mm-hmm. Don't bring in 30 people as guests. We don't have a lot of guests set. Uh, if I go over the time, I'm, I profusely apologize and I go down the line, shake everybody's hand, take as many pictures as I can with everybody to go. It's not the club fault. This was my fault. I was having too much fun. On stage, and and because I had always formed my own companies, because nobody would represent me. They didn't know, like you said, they didn't know what to do with the black female Republican who was God fearing, but would talk about head for forty five <laughs> minutes. They didn't know what to do. With, and my dad was like, "Are you good at this type of comedy?" And I was like, "Yes." He said, "How good?" Because if you just standing on the corner on the liquor store cutting the food, I walk past you because you ain't my daughter, you know. And I said, "I think I'm." one of the best at this type of comedy. And he lived long enough to see it. And he, one time, you know when we talk about, did I ever tell you the story about, remember before the war on terrorism is the war on uh, drugs. 
Mm-hmm. And we were flying on these, we were flying on these buddy passes, one way in and figure out your way back out, <laughs> which meant you was possibly muling drugs. Right. Okay. Right. So I was so afraid of getting popped and they could seize the money and not give it back to you. Mm-hmm. So at that time we were getting paid cash, small bills because. The comedy you, clubs would do that. Oh yeah. Like, I remember, I, I remember mm-hmm. like I get an envelope of cash from a club owner and he'd be like, you know, do me a favor. Don't declare this. I was like, mother, right. I have to pay my managers and That's agents. Right. That's I, right. I, I can't. like a mom. Thing, yeah, like you know, Don yeah, wink, wink, We hope you have yeah. a very prosperous childhood. <laughs> I leave yeah. a bag of yeah. five dollar bills. Yes. Come on, man, with, with dust and blood, <laughs> on blood sweaty. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> so. Uh, I was going through Chicago, and I was afraid of getting pulled off the plane because I needed this money. I need to pay my bills, and I always pay taxes and everything. Until I, I got in one tax trouble. I'll tell you about that, too. Um, but um, I went through Chicago, and I said, Daddy, I need a favor. Can you uh, take this money? And I explained why. And he said, okay. He thought I was going to give him a little bit of money. right? Mm-hmm. So we get in the bank. You know, my father knows everybody in the bank. He's friendly everything. He said, my daughter needs to uh, deposit this money. So he said, give her the money. I pulled his, oh, it had to be about $15,000 worth of money right, right. in the small bills. Was big, you know. Right. My dad looked at me and uh, he kind of cleared his thought. And then we got in the car and he said, Did you make that money legitimately? I said, Yes, I did. He said, How long did it take you? I said, About 30, 45 minutes. He said, You make that in 30, 45 minutes. When my father died, under the lace runner in his bedroom was a deposit slip. They said that he would pull it out and gaze at it with pride. Um, He was very, very proud and very proud that I remained in Underwood uh, doing it because I told him, whatever fame I will achieve, it is a testament to you who raised me. My family needs to be known, you know, and even when I got, you know, I got a little tax trouble, you know, uh, it wasn't bad. I was just, I just owed a lot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, because you get all this money and the first thing you think, let me pay my bills to survive. Mm-hmm. And, but I learned you pay the taxes, you take out for yourself, you know, and now, you know, I would start a company and then I was, okay, this company is not growing the way I'd like it to grow. And, you know, for me to do my own radio show, like you doing your own podcast, mm-hmm. you know, I have a podcast, I have an app. Uh, I have Cheryl Underwood Radio. We started with one radio station. We lost that one radio station. And then today we have 25 uh, radio stations. And that is a testament to Rob Wilkins, who is my vice president of affiliate relations and HBCU initiatives. He came from Tom Joyner. He used to work for Tom Joyner. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I tell everybody, work for me part-time, work for somebody else with more money than me full-time <laughs> so you can stack that paper. But I also wanted to be a place where, you know, I got David Raybon, who's an actor out there. He was on The Shield. You know, he was on a, My Name is Earl. He's an actor who was a comic who is a former Houston Police Department member. He used to be on the road with D.L. Hughley. When that goes away, what does the comic do? So I feel like I'm like the Dallas Cowboys. I'm the safe haven for people that need a place to go. <laughs> you know? So I was like, come on, work for me. Yeah. You know, I would see comics and I would go, you're good. Now, people say, well, why you don't have more girl comics working uh, with you? It's very hard for another female comic to help and assist another female comic mm. because there's still some female things that it, they, they might take certain things better from a man. You know, I think it's also... Uh, the fact that culturally, culture, our culture pits us against each other. Yes. You know, and, and we're so, trying to stop it. Yeah. That's why you and I together, and I tell the story about how we was backstage, and you was like, oh, you know, put in a good word. I said, I don't remember my mouth. And, and I touched you, yes. and I bowed my head, and I was like, I hope she don't see that I'm praying. And I said, <laughs> Lord, if you see us together, show us favor. Because in my heart, 
I knew I was better with you. Mm. It wasn't me up against me at the table battling for right, position. Right, it was, right. It was, it was, I wanted us to be like, um, you know, it was it Shields and Yarnell or like, a, you know, Captain and Sunil, you know, Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr., you know, I, a Pieces and Herb. I wanted us to be this great team mm-hmm. that even when we disagreed that, that we were together. And I really wanted people to see how great of a mind and a brain you had. And I'm so mad at you that you don't show up dynamic legs. I know of <laughs> nobody in daytime talk and in comedy got the legs that you got. You could play Leslie Uggams. And I know this is your little podcast, but I'm going to say it. Oh, no. It has been an honor to get to know you because of all the things that you're doing and the things that you were willing to share with us that you were going through. Yeah, I feel and, the same way about you, Cheryl. And And, and, and you know what's great, too? When I saw Drew Carey, I was like, God, I've been in love with Drew Carey since he was fat. Yeah. yeah I wanted to hit that really bad. <laughs> I wanted to hit him. I, I wanted to sleep with Drew Carey. I wanted to sleep with Mitch Hedberg. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves oh, Mitch Hedberg. God. Everybody loves Mitch. We used to send messages back and forward. I, I didn't know that these white male comics knew who I was. Yeah, everybody knew who you yeah, were. Yeah, sure. I, I had no idea. You know, I, I ooh, dream. George Lopez and me in a sitcom. Yeah, that that's 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 the dream. Yeah, that that's the dream. It's something that's diverse, but mainstream. You know, he could be recurring, but mm-hmm. but I'm I'm getting almost everything I want. Do I want to be Kevin Hart? Absolutely not, because Kevin Hart needs to be Kevin Hart. Yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and I, I I I think that um, what you've done mm-hmm. is. And I said this already, but I'm going to say it again. There is nobody like you. Right. I think sometimes when you're coming up through comedy, people keep telling you, you need to be more like this. You need to be more like that. But the only way to win is to be truly and fully yourself. Yeah, I can't do it. That's why I I have a hard time memorizing lines in the scripts. Mm -hmm. Because I feel that's not my, am I stealing? Am I... I'm trying to get my brain processed ready to do that sort of thing because I, I want to do movies. I mean, the only way I got a movie, uh, A.J. Johnson mm-hmm. uh, got me in. Uh, I got the hookup. Mm-hmm. Uh, Warren Beatty put me in Bulwer, mm-hmm. uh, even though he was trying to talk me out of being a Republican. <laughs> oh, he was so intellectually powerful, which is attractive to yeah. me. But, you know, and it been ain't no joke. She, no, she's no joke at She ain't no joke. Yeah. Throw that ashtray, yeah. bitch. What is you doing? <laughs> you know, so every movie movie I've ever been in. I think Vivica Fox hooked me up with, uh, uh, it, it was either, it was not two can play that game. Um, I can't remember what it is, but it was the movie where uh, they were dating this guy and uh, they went to the comedy club. Oh, I don't remember. Uh, I got to find that uh, find that out. But everybody that's ha- had me be in a movie, it was, it was something that somebody else said, go get Cheryl Underwood. Mm-hmm. It's always been a go get, even the talk. Mm-hmm. Somebody in the big office, they said, see if Cheryl Underwood come in. And I ignored it because I thought it was comics playing on my phone. And Steve Harvey was the only one that said, bitch, it might be CBS. You might want to call him back. Did you re- tell me about that before we wrap up? Mm-hmm. You got a call about them being interested in you coming in and you didn't you, you didn't for a meeting uh, and and I, I would ignore it and I was like hey nobody's just calling for me because I got tired of going to these general meetings and nothing, nothing was happening, happening. right mm-hmm. and and I would there were days when I was in a beauty shop mm-hmm. there was a day where I had been pitching 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 and everything that I was pitching they said we just gave it to this person this person this person and while mm-hmm. I was happy for these female comics that were getting it right 
I was so proud of Monique, so proud of Adele and Samora and Laura Hayes and all these other women, Sherry Shepard, so proud. But but I was in pain. Yeah. And uh, I was catfish reading beauty. I went into Sherry Shepard's dressing room and she said, Cheryl, what's wrong? And I just burst into tears. And when we we. I just collapsed and she got on the floor and she prayed Mm. and she said, Lord, take this pain out of Cheryl. And that moment, it was gone. It was was, completely gone. So then I thought to myself, stop thinking about what you don't have and what's stopping you. You're still alive. It's not a no. It's a not right now. So by the time I started getting these calls CBS, I'm not saying that I didn't think God was going to answer me. I just think he was going to answer me in that way. Mm -hmm. So I thought people playing on my phone. I was ignoring the call. I was like, I ain't really CBS. I'm not taking the call. And why would they want me to come in? And so when I finally took the call, because Steve said you'd call him back, I called him back, and they had me come up here with Nina Tassler. Remember, I said Nina Tassler looked like Judge Judy with nicer clothes. Uh, just, <laughs> Nina Tassler know how to dress. Nina so we Tassler was the head of CBS. And then it was somebody right. named I think it was Peter Gold. Is, is Peter, Gold. Yeah, Peter, Peter Gold? Yeah, Peter Golden. Peter Golden. Was the head That's what I heard. Mm-hmm. Really said. So let's see if we get Charlotte coming. So they start asking me questions. Like, um, and I never thought I was going to get a job. Mm-hmm. They were asking me questions like, um, so who are you voting for? I said, can you, you ask me no shit like this? <laughs> hey, is that legal? <laughs> you know, I know the law. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and they said, no, no, we just talking. We just talking. I said, Obama. <laughs> and they, this was, he was Senator Obama. Yeah. I said, Obama. And they was like, I thought you were a Republican. I am. That, that's why I got a right to vote for Obama. I got to go. <laughs> Where you want me to go? I said, who, who, who is you? And, you know, and yeah. then, then we started talking. And then it was like, would you talk like this on uh, the talk? I said, the show with the baby mamas? I said, no, nah, I, I can't have a baby. I have my transmission drop. I'm done. I'm out the game. Ain't nothing in here but lost car keys, wish rises, and dust. <laughs> and they was laughing so hard. <laughs> and, they, and, then I, and then Billy Bauer. Mm-hmm. Brought me down. They asked me, did I want to meet Julie Chen and Sarah Gillen? Mm-hmm. I said, the girl from Big Brother, look at Rosa. Oh, yeah. I just thought I was going to meet people. Yes. I didn't think I was going to have a job. Right. And I talked to them, and I remember saying crazy stuff to them. But I also remember I said, well, maybe, because what I practice on is ending a meeting. Mm-hmm. How do you end? You get mm-hmm. in there, but how do you end it? So mm-hmm. I said, well, maybe it's time for me to go. Because y'all probably got other people you interview. And I turned back to them, and I said, whoever you pick, even if it's not me, can you pick somebody that keeps this going? These people are trying to pay their bills. They're trying to pay their mortgages and put their kids through school. Mm-hmm. So if it's not me, somebody keeps this going. Yeah. And that's why. And then me and Mrs. O went to lunch at the Polo Lounge when we could go in there. Mm-hmm. And she threw up on me. <laughs> and and because she wasn't feeling well. that was an anointment. Oh my gosh, that, that was, was an anointment. Hard. And I was so scared for her. I didn't know her, and I said. Bitch, this didn't happen. I didn't meet you. You wasn't here. Don't did nobody, <laughs> nobody see this. Up. That's right. <laughs> Nothing happened. Get in your car. Don't you talk about this. I'm not gonna talk about. It. And all the black dudes that was security, I said, did nigga, this didn't happen. <laughs> and she was at the barbecue. Mm-hmm. At Julie House, mm-hmm. and telling this story, and everybody's in tears. And and one, I, he wasn't, he's not a producer here now, but he came up to me and he said, "Tell me the truth, Sharon Osbourne throw up on you at the polo lines." I said, "Who is Sharon Osbourne? I ain't never met that bitch in my life. Is she here? That's Ozzy's wife. I would love to meet her, because I was not gonna tell it." Right. We yeah. have to, so we have to go to our production meeting this morning. Um, for the talk. I think we need a part three, four. Oh, we, we got to talk, talk sex <laughs> and the female so many comic. other things. Um, and, uh, and 
So we're just we're not going to do self-inflicted wounds because I feel like I feel like there were so many in there about you learning and growing. But you, you edit them out and edit them all together as as as, as a yeah because I think my whole two part one and part two was self-inflicted. Inflicted, yeah, but, but self-inflicted wounds do heal. They do. They they they, do. they, they and do you learn heal. from them. You you absolutely do. And I would hope that people wouldn't hold against me things that I've said in my comedy journey or even in my life journey, um, because we all evolve into better people. It's not for me to change you. It's to help your evolution. And I'm really honored to be here with you. And Julie Chen is the most wonderful woman in the world. Really and Sarah is. Gilbert is the sweetest soul. And, and Mrs. O is just internationally fabulous, but the most down-to-earth person. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else got it as got it like we got it. And I I feel like you know, you we we all came here mm -hmm. uh with the, our experiences and our mm -hmm. background but Interacting with everybody, with each other, with the other four yes. women every day mm -hmm. has helped me grow immensely. Me too. Me too. And it's taught me how to, I don't have to say everything. Mm -hmm. uh, and and I, don't, I don't want to be misunderstood, mm -hmm. you know, and I don't want to hurt anybody. Um, and, and I did watch the talk. Mm -hmm. and, and I was so protective over Sarah mm -hmm. because, you know, Sarah, I knew Mrs. O could hold her own because mm -hmm. she don't take no smack. Mm -hmm. You know, that's obviously Neither does Julie. Yeah, right. Julie don't. Tough, but tough Julie's ladies. in a tough situation. Too. She's the first lady of the network, yeah. but she's also a consummate newswoman with a great sense of humor, mm -hmm. but they, they have feelings. And I think that's why we're so protective. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I am protective over you. When I got in trouble with the hair thing, all of y'all had my back. And that, that little broad was happy about it. Remember that broad that was trying to clap at you? Mm -hmm. And then I had mm -hmm. to clap back on it going, hey, bitch, bring that bullshit on a lot if you want to. <laughs> we know, so I do. You right. dealt with. Yes. But, and I was just being facetious. But, but it, I think you said... It, what you said in that moment was, and we keep saying it all the time, which is you mess with one of us, you mess, you mess with, with all of us. That's yeah. right. That that yeah. is exactly right. And when and and we're the type of women that pull each other aside and go, uh, okay, maybe that ain't gonna work. Mm -hmm. Or it, like when I, when I had your back, I definitely that day did not want you to know what was on my card. I had no idea what you oh, were gonna man. do. I, was I had like, no idea I was what so you were gonna say because people just don't understand. We are the only race of people that gotta live the duality. Yeah. If, if you're not black enough, or but you're you too, too black. black. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And 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 it just pains me. But I also know that there's some people out there that in social media, they live for this. They live for the stumble. Yeah. Well, live, live for the stumble and then help me teach. And then let me say to you, my bad. Right. I blew it. I blew it. I'm learning. I'm yeah. growing. Like nobody understands why I wanted to shout out Steve Harvey, which I spoke to Steve Harvey about my shout out. Oh, did you? For him before I did it. On the people's on people's the, choice. On people's choice. Okay. Right. I was I thought Sarah was the only person that was gonna speak. Yeah. And then um I was gonna do mine in the in the publicity yeah. room. Yeah. And say, oh, I'm glad y'all didn't pull a Steve Harvey. So before I even said it, I said it to PR. They said it was cool. Say it in the in, in the press room. And then I text Steve and I said, Steve, if I say this, will this hurt you? Mm -hmm. He said, no. Mm -hmm. I said, cool. When the dude did what he did, 
for people who haven't seen the People's Choice Award, we, a, a, a dude tried to Kanye us in the mm-hmm, middle of our acceptance mm-hmm. speech for... Uh, and see, I say Kanye, my feeling is Kanye old. Steve, <laughs> yeah, Steve is the is new, new flame. Yes, yeah. Steve the new flame. But also, I wasn't going to let nobody mess this up. We just got here. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And I wasn't going to curse. I didn't want to embarrass the network. And I didn't want to like get us in a situation. Now we done stole on this dude. Now everybody's <laughs> suing us and CBS. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking lawsuits and everything. But I was like, no, no, not today. And But yeah. also... Um, I think we all are very protective of the brand and we are a guest in people's minds. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. didn't want to implant that uncoolness no. in people's mind. But no. you are a blessing. You are a joy. Whatever is happening in the future of your life, I know it's going to be so good. And I'm just proud to know you You are a good sister. I mean, you're a good sister, but you hang with the dudes on the little video game. You're a tomboy <laughs> and a baby nerd, but you're the sexiest nerd. Now, if you ever uh, drink too much liquor, you get it. Because <laughs> I slept with girls. And I, I, I'm not good at it, but you can get it. <laughs> we are going off to make the talk. You're going to get it. <laughs> oh, you are crazy. You're gonna get it. All right, that was Cheryl Underwood. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Don't forget to visit my Kickstarter page for my film, Access. It's at kickstarter.com slash accessfilm. That's kickstarter.com slash A-X-I-S-F-I-L-M. It goes live Wednesday, April 6th, and I would really love for you to be a part of this experience with me. It's going to be so fucking cool. Remember, you can upgrade at any time to premium access to get uh, your grubby little hands on the entire back catalog of Girl on Guy episodes, all 250 episodes. Just go to girlonguy.net and click on Upgrade to Premium Access. Follow me online on the Twitters and the Facebooks and the Tumblers. My handle is Aisha Tyler, and the show's handle is Girl on Guy. And my burgeoning company, uh, my burgeoning spirits company, uh, the handles are Courage and Stone at Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, Courage and Stone is hot uh, in development. We just threw our first activation event uh, last week at the Delta South by Southwest um, shuttle event at LAX. And you can see photos of that by going to facebook.com slash courage and stone, all one word. But uh, more news about Courage and Stone as we as we emerge from our uh, little chrysalis. Uh, it is happening, my friends, long at long and... Uh, emotional last. And I'll keep you posted on live events this summer. Hopefully we'll be doing something at uh, Comic-Con. That is my hope and aspiration. And also potentially something at Tales of the Cocktail if people are traveling down to uh, New Orleans for that uh, booze-soaked booze fiesta slash booze fest. All right, you guys are the greatest. You are my army. You are uh, lovely. You are uh, unflappable. You are visionary and you are legion. And I cannot wait to talk to you on the next one. Late. Girl on Guy is a production of Hot Machine. Blowing shit up since 2009.